aren't you glad you got a home to go to? Praise the Lord. You know, it's so sad to me when we think about those that will wind up being lost, actually, and going to a lake of fire. They're not really going where they come from. They're not really going to a place that was even made for them. They're going to a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Yet because of their refusal to accept God's provided way, there's no other medium, there's no other middle ground for them to go to, but to that place. And God in his mercy has helped us to be able to accept his provided way. Think of where you'd be today if it wasn't for the grace of God. Look at your families, look at many of your friends and what makes you so much different, what makes me different, grace, grace and mercy. Amen. God bless you. Happy to be together today in the presence of the Lord. So enjoy the service last night. Amen. The word of the Lord is so precious. I want to apologize to you for not uh, acknowledging Brother Benny Perry and them last night because honestly, I didn't know who they were. So they all come in. I seen that bus down there unloading through the door and I thought, Lord, we're being invaded. <laughs> so I kept looking to see who it was and I, I never did recognize Brother Benny until after the service, so I apologize to him for not acknowledging him. So I apologize to you all, but they certainly added to the service, didn't they? Amen. Certainly appreciate our brother and sister. I thought that was so nice of them just to load up that big bus load and just come up and come our way. Amen. God bless you. Let's turn again today, if you would, to St. John chapter 4, verse 23. Also, I want to thank you, Carol, myself, for uh, your nice Christmas cards and chocolate and gift cards and Christmas cards and chocolates and <laughs> gift cards and did I say chocolate? Y'all are always so nice and so, so thoughtful and we want you to know that we certainly appreciate it with all of our hearts. A few pounds later, we're trying to work it all off. Thank you for all that exercise. <clears throat> St. John four twenty three. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's read this verse 24 again. God is a spirit, and they that worship him. Now you notice that Jesus doesn't say nothing about them or plural. The word Elohim, is a, it's an unusual word in the Hebrew and the Old Testament because it, it can be applied to deity, but it is also applied to the rulers of Israel when you look at the broad application of Elohim. And it can be more than one. So the Trinitarians take that and try to assume that that is more than one God. But we know that <clears throat> that idea is contrary to all the rest of the scripture. So here is that one God on the earth talking about himself, but he's speaking from the second attribute of himself. And he's telling us of the eternal and telling us that God is a spirit 
and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's bow our heads together today. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> such an honor for us to be together again today. Lord, you're, you're so awesome to us, Lord. We love you with all of our hearts. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for allowing the light of the Word of God of this evening time to come across our hearts. And we know, Lord, we're living in, a, in an age of a great falling away and a great time of darkness. But, Lord Jesus, to us, the light is more wonderful and more precious than it has ever been. As we looked at the parallel last night, Lord, of you being led of the Spirit, drove, as Mark called it, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And you were there with the wild beast and angels ministered to you. And I saw that expression as it came over the faces of the people last night, Lord, that they were able to relate in their age of how we also are among the beasts, as it were, of this age, and yet at the same time being ministered to by angels. We thank you for sustaining strength and power, Lord. We ask today that once again as we have come to sit at your table, that you'd feed us on your unfailing words. Be mindful of those needs, dear God, of those that are so pressing right now. Father, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let's turn again, if you would, this morning to St. John chapter 1, verse 1. After the service Wednesday night, it just kept reiterating over and over and over in my heart. Those of you that have been around very long, you know the Lord sometimes deals with me in retrospect or in backwards, actually, in the way that we think about it, that I say something under inspiration, and then it strikes me when I'm saying it, and uh, I go back and then re-look at it and, and study it again. And it was, uh, there was something that I, <clears throat> I knew <clears throat> that I, excuse me, I was not, I was not perceiving myself about Galatians 4 and also about John 1. And I just kept hearing it over and over and over and over. And yesterday morning before I got up, the Lord started dealing with me and putting together what you heard last night, basically. And uh, trying to help me, you know, and a preacher can't preach, of course, with any illumination to the people to help them see until he himself sees it first. Now, he might stand up and preach it, but he will not be able to preach it with the same inspiration until it's made real to him. Brother Ben tells us that he himself wouldn't even preach on hell for many years because he couldn't understand it. I admire a man like that. And I admire him being able to say it. So he couldn't bring it. He couldn't actually be able to talk about it in depth until he saw it himself. And <clears throat> when we look at what the scripture sets forth about the deity of God, I find it so amazing that it's not just showing to us who he is, what he was, what he wanted to be, what he wanted to become. But 
myself, as I see this, I'm seeing more not only of himself, but I'm finding more of me. And I'm finding and seeing more of you. And I hope that you are, are doing likewise. Because as we look at it, we see that, that all these things that came from the back part, as the prophet designated that eternal part, of the mind of God that would be the eternal, uh, from where the eternal attributes would be projected from, then it was more than just himself. It was everything of that eternal quality. Now there are things, of course, that he spoke into existence that he knew would only exist in time. There are creatures of time. There are creations of time. No doubt there are things on the earth that are of time. John looked and he said, I saw no more sea. John didn't say he didn't see no more water. There will be fountains, there will be rivers, there will be streams, maybe even possibly lakes. But John said, I saw no more sea. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, you know that when you fly basically in the direction that we would fly from this part of the world, that we would fly in and we would come in and approach from the side of the Mediterranean. And you come from the side of the Mediterranean, and there you are, you fly right into the landmass of Israel. So there's no way being centered from Jerusalem, which would be northeast to where pretty much all the international flights would land in, no international airport in Jerusalem. So you would come in and Jerusalem would be northeast of where most international flights would land. And you realize from the center focal point of Jerusalem, you cannot go 750 miles out and be able to do that without incapacitating coming right into the Mediterranean. So the sea must be gone. So apparently there are some things in the creation of God that are only necessary in time. Satan, of course, many of the angels, which are created on the basis that God knew what they would choose, many of them will cease to exist one day. But yet there's many, many, many attributes that came from him which will change themselves, but yet they will not cease to exist. So we see the Logos, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, much of the attributes of himself, of what he thought about himself becoming, is him expressed in another form, but it is all an act of condescending. Notice John picks it up and he says it this way in John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. In our minds, we would think, well, what, what would actually the word be? What is it something that you say? Well, it was, but it was more than that. It, it is something that you would write down. Well, God never wrote as far as we know. <clears throat> we don't even really know how far it was in time before the first word of God was ever written down because God's preference initially was spoken word. And then God allowed the word to be written down for the generations that would follow thereafter. But he is speaking more here not of just something which would be written or something which would be published, but he's speaking more of a person. So John is the only one of the writers of the New Testament that is able to catch the immorphe of God in the gospel stage. Now John, unlike Matthew or Mark or Luke, he writes more of the divine side. 
And John says, in the beginning, we looked at this word last night. I'd like for us to look at it again this morning. In the beginning was the word. And the Greek word there for the word beginning is arche. And it means first, origin, or the person or thing that commences. Now, I love this. For it is the first person or thing in a series. Now, in case you haven't counted it, we are on part 96 of the series entitled The Church. Part 96. So this is a long series. Now, many people would say, why would you keep calling it the same thing? Because it's all connected. Now, God wanted to have an extreme long series. It would cover a span of approximately, in the way that we would relate to it in time, 6,000 years, or by God's time, 6 days. It would start with a series of the Word of Himself. He would begin the series. It would be an expression of the written word. Now it's going to be actually spoken first. Thoughts in his mind. Then spoken. Then written. Then manifested. So it will be the beginning of the series. will begin with God's own person. Reflected in a part that can be visible. And humans and angels as well can be able to worship it. So he will start the series with an act of condescension. He will become the first part of this series when he will become in form of his own creation. He will enter this series. It will be part one, but actually be attribute two during the introductory part. Part one will begin with attribute two. Now remember, I read it to you last week, that that Jesus being the Logos of God is actually the second attribute of himself. Like you being mother, being grandmother, being daughter, being sister, being aunt, being niece, so on and so on and so on. So you have many different attributes and according to the way that they came about, you would have first of all, you would have been a little girl, so you would have been first of all a daughter. You could have not, whenever you would have been born, your sisters, you could have not been called a wife. So in order for the attributes to be expressed, you would have had to be a daughter first. And then, of course, you would at the same time become a sister if you had had siblings. And then you would have become maybe later in time a wife. And then later a mother. And then later maybe a, an aunt. And so on and so on. So it would have been the order of the series of your life as you become into more expression. The farther you go in time, the farther those expressions come. So you you come from mother to grandmother. Then if you live long enough, you become great-grandmother. And then if you live really long, you become great-great-grandmother. So the farther you go, then you're expressing yourself and each attribute becomes more clear. You follow me? So in the form of 
eternal, he cannot be yet fully expressed. So he moves over into the second attribute of himself, and that's the part of himself which is the Logos or the Sonship of God. This is pre-Jesus. Now notice John does not say, in the beginning was Jesus. Because theologically, that would not be correct. You see, Jesus was the expression of that attribute thousands of years later. But John says, in the beginning was the Word. So here is the first person or thing in a series. The leader, <clears throat> that by which anything begins, <clears throat> excuse me, to be the origin or the active cause. The active cause. So here is the Word. Verse 2, the same as in the beginning with God, all things were made by him. Him who? The Word. So now John gives a personality and a gender to the Logos. And the Logos is a him. Praise the Lord. The Logos is a Him. So all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. I love the way Dr. Schofield is able to describe the representation of Jesus in the four Gospels. Now I know that he fed under the dispensation of man just like Luther and all of them. But remember God used them. As a matter of fact, you might be quite surprised if you read Schofield's notes, you find much of what Brother Branham preached is in the message itself. But the difference is Brother Branham is able to go in there and pull out what's right and correct what Schofield said that was wrong that's why we needed a prophet not another theologian but Schofield says it this way about the four gospels and if you have a Schofield Bible and you've never read this it might help you to understand uh, even where we are and about the consensus of the message since we have so many folks that are trying to pick the message and you know looking for fault and this and that and the other and they're looking for all of these things and date lines and timelines and numbers and so on and Schofield being a theologian he was able to look at the perspective of the four gospels and taking and studying Matthew, comparing it to Mark, compared to Luke, compared to John, and looking at see that here we have four different views of the exact same occurrence in the life of the Lord Jesus. And Schofield, as I said, if you haven't read this, it's probably good for you to read it in the preface of the four gospels, and how that he sets it forth that for the those that are looking to argue and debate, and they try to take the gospels and argue, you know, well, John said this, and Luke said this, and Mark said this, so which one of them is right? And, you know, if you're an unbeliever, I don't care what God does, you ain't never going to believe it, no how. But if you're a believer, you believe it without even making sense of it all. Because that's who you are, that's what you do. But yet, uh, Schofield sets it for us that none of these men are actually writing a biography of the Lord Jesus per se, but they are taking the increments of his life that so was so outstanding to them and setting forth and personifying him and letting him speak for himself. Now let me read to you a little bit of what Schofield said. He said, special emphasis rests upon that to which all four gospels bear a united 
testimony. Now listen to the way he says this. A united testimony, that united testimony is sevenfold. And all alike is revealed the one unique personality. Jesus is king in Matthew. Servant in Mark. Man in Luke. God in John. Now watch. It's amazing enough. All four of these men would have written exactly the same thing. You would not need four gospels. You would only need one. If all of the five-fold ministry preach exactly the same way, you wouldn't need but one preacher on a supersonic jet. He could take care of all the world. Right? And if all five-fold is the same as a prophet, then we wouldn't need a pastor, really. All we'd have to do is just all play tapes or hear an advances or whatever. But God diversifies himself in giving himself out to the body in the form of gifts. And they all come in a little bit different way. You understand that? Now, we know it's the same way because really the, uh, the, the projecting of the gifts of the gospel are like God's armament by which he gives armament to the body. Now, we know that... We have different branches of the military in the United States. We have the Army, the Marines, the Air Force, and all of that. Each one of them, they work together, and they can be called together in different fronts. But yet they work in the air, they work on the land, they work on the sea. And then we've got those special ones that do the submarines, and they work in the depths of the sea. We hardly ever see them. We hardly ever know that they're there. But yet they play a very vital, important part. Now, if the Army itself could do at all, then the guys out of the Air Force could retire. We wouldn't need the Marines no more. But each of them have their own aspect. Is that right? It's the same with our missiles. Now, many of our missiles, the ICBMs are made to where they're intercondylistic, where they can be able to go so far and their range. Yet, you don't need one of them if you've got a, a, an enemy that's down about Grimestaff. Now, if you've got an enemy down about Grindstaff Motors, and all you've got is this missile, which the range is 2,750 miles, I mean, guess what? You're not even going to get it out of the launching pad to where the enemy's going to be right at your door. So what do they do? Then they make these little smaller type missiles, which are, you know, in theory, they are very similar, but yet they're able to be launched from a shoulder launcher, which now our United States military just recently bought some from the land of Israel because Israel's soul had been able to perfect these short ones because they're used to shorter range battles. Well, some of you only like to hear a pastor preach. Some of you only prefer this particular office, but God knows that sometimes we need to get evangelists come in and they might be short range and boy, they might preach like a shotgun. They're on this side and they're on that side and that side and they're just shooting a scatter gun everywhere. But every now and then we all need a scatter gun preacher. That's right. Now some of you like to see a big foundation laid from a preacher. You like, oh my, some of you are so detailed when it comes to preaching and the ministry. You know, but we need every aspect of that to be able to give us what we have needed. Well, it's the same with God in the way that God did with the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And how they were able to write according to the gift that God gave them. Now remember, Matthew was there with the Lord Jesus. He was 
actually a tax collector and the Lord brought him to a place to understand. But Mark was not actually there. Luke was not actually there. Luke, right here, some years later, Luke was a Jew, but he was actually raised up under the Hellenistic, the Greek the theology. So Luke was a more or less of an influence. He's a Jew, but influenced by the Gentile way, spoke about four different languages fluently. But John was the one who was the heart. He was the very heart of the Gospels and had an attachment to the Lord Jesus that most people, let me say it humanly, would actually envy. So John was not just this by his own personal choice, but the Lord Jesus chose John to be the apostle of his heart. So there was a connection there that he was able to identify with. But myself, as I read these four gospels and I catch the personification of one person, in reality his personality was so great that millions could have wrote about him and still never covered him. There has never been a one human being that's ever lived on the earth that has had so many songs, so many poems, so many sermons, so many things said about him, and we still haven't scratched the surface. Now the next time you get to thinking you're something, see how many poems is written about you, why don't you? Why don't you see how many songs has been written about you and how many sermons have been preached about you to kind of let you know where you are. Now, notice this, that Dr. Schofield, he says, uh, the Jesus is king and Matthew's servant in Mark, man in Luke, God in John. Now, many people in, in dealing with the personality of God and the act of condescension and bringing the deity of our Lord into the, into the, the embodiment of humanity, it's as if so some feel that you're trying to take away from him by doing so. But actually, if we can get in the proper balance of the way God looked at it, we're actually making him greater because God did this himself. So it shows that we're able to move beyond our traditional concept, which in our humanity, it would be within us to go into the protective mode. And we would say, well, we're trying to protect him. I refuse for you as any preacher or anybody else to bring my Lord that low. I didn't bring him that low in the first place. He brought himself there. So it is the very mind of God or the very heart of God for him to bring himself. As I quoted to you last night, the prophet said that the Lord Jesus brought the kingdom of God so low when he was on the earth that the weakest Christian could take the word of God and defeat Satan any place, anytime, anywhere in his own ground. The Lord Jesus did that himself. But notice this, Scofield goes on to say, not only so, for Matthew's king is also servant, man, and God. Mark's servant is also king and man and God. Now watch how they interchange, but yet Matthew would have one emphasis, and how does Matthew start out? If you're not familiar with it, he starts out with a natural lineage, and he ties him to the lineage of King David. Mark starts out totally different. And Luke starts out totally different. And John starts out even more different than them all. And we read the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word. 
So Matthew starts out with the genealogy running him down through Mary and through Joseph, of course, to King David. Because this is the way that Matthew is anointed and this is the way that the Holy Ghost moves upon this human instrumentality of Matthew. And when Matthew started seeing it, he saw the Lord Jesus in this personification and he would bring out certain things that Mark never touched and certain things that Luke never said. But yet, don't you love all four of them? All four of them are really necessary and ordered. Now they would overlap and then you'd have occasions where one would say, well, there was two sitting there by the, you know, by the wall that day and two blind men sitting there. One of the others would say one. And when you go to the four gospels and you find what words was written over Jesus' head as it was tacked upon the cross, all four of them say something different. Well, I'm sorry you all hadn't read your Bible and knew that. You see, each of them, now the same thing would happen right here today. When the service is over and we go our separate ways and you go to talking about the service and you say, I really got a blessing by what Brother Donnie said this morning. He said such and such and so and so and your husband or wife looks over to you and say, he didn't say that this morning, he said that last night. And you say, no, he said that, no, don't tell me, he said that last night. Well, here were two people, I hope you were in the service, and you were in the same service and here you are, you don't remember who's said it or you say are you and then the kid in the back space haven't said that wasn't brother donnie said that brother louis said therefore brother donnie come out so now i want to know which one of you all are lying neither one of you but you're trying to recall by the best of your memory and it all sort of runs together and people want to accuse brother branham of lying because when he tells the different things and so on that happened in his life and they say he was a deceiver god will judge you at the day of judgment and will put you into outer darkness for such an accusation come on saints But notice how that God chose them, these men, to be able to write it down. Now, if they're the intellectual mind, you know, you look at Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, but they overlap in what they bring. Notice Mark's servant is also king and man and God. Luke's man is also king and servant and God. John's son is also king and servant and man. Now, because God wanted the New Testament church to be able to see how he diversified himself because what's he going to do? God, the number four, of course, is not representative in the Godhead. And we know that God is perfected. God manifests himself in one and threes and in fives and in sevens and in forties and in fifties. But we also know that God uses the number four. And the number four is the number of earthly deliverance. Now, it was the fourth man in the fiery furnace that came and brought deliverance to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the number four appears from the Old Testament on down through the New. And we know that the moon being a type of the bride, being the wife of the sun, that the moon actually does not reveal her glory in three stages or in five or in seven. But actually the moon reveals herself in four stages. Is that right? Quarter moon, half moon, three quarter moon, and full moon. 
So we can see that God uses the number four. He could have chose three gospels. He could have chose five. For those of you that feel like he needed seven, he could have chose seven if you so desired. But he's going to establish the church now on the basic principles of these eyewitnesses of these men. And he's going to have four gospels. Each of them will be able to correlate together and produce a personification of who he is. So one of them will say he's a king. And the other one will say, well, he was a king, but he was a man. And the other said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was a man and he was a king, but he was also God. And the other one will say, wait a minute, he was a man, he was a king, he was God, but you brothers are missing something. He was Jehovah's servant. Well, you see, when we go to projecting his personality, if we don't bring these elements into the picture, we don't make the picture complete. So for those who want to magnify only on the deity of the Lord Jesus and not really read into that the humanity of our Lord Jesus, you're living out part of the picture for those who want to preach only the humanity of our Lord and do not bring in the picture the deity of our Lord you will preach a one-sided weak Lord Jesus that will look like he's no more than just any other ordinary man so what do we want in our church and in our hearts a perfect balance in the eyes of the Lord to where we can see the king part, we can see the man part, we can see the servant part, and we can see the God part. Now, this to me is part of the greatness of his expression. I know that for some, you know, my, they get so apprehensive and so um, nervous and tense when you go to bringing it. But I see, you know, from where I'm at looking at it this way, I, I, I see such greatness that was expressed. And this was not forced upon our Lord. Now, as I mentioned to you last night, that when the Lord Jesus come on the earth, actually his body, the body of Jesus the man, it was not that that body had pre-existed in eternity and had come down that he left eternity as a man and he simply shrank himself and shrank himself from a man into an embryo size. It is not that he come down to the act of shrinkage but actually he stepped out of the theophany of God which was the representation in eternity. Now this was by choice himself. He's not being sent by another being but he actually is the attribute of himself choosing to come this way. Praise God. Now, he's going to come out of the theophany and then the attribute will become Jesus, the boy, the tent, the tabernacle, the humanity of God. Now, he will live upon the earth for a period of about 30 years. He will appear at the age of 12. We will see him as a little baby as he's becoming circumcised under the law. We will again see him disappear for several years and appear again as he comes to going up to Jerusalem. And we will see him as he goes and he confounds the doctors of the law. We will see him disappear again. And then we will see him reappear as we see him at the age of 30. There were these then see him being baptized by the baptizer. And whenever he comes up out of the water, we see Father God coming down in the form of a dove. 
We then see the attribute of the fullness of God going inside of his body. Then we fall into the wilderness as we left him last night, tempted of the devil. We see him coming out of the wilderness and living a life that is going to be the portrayal of a servant. Now, in the cycle of his life, we never see him actually displayed as a son of David, as the king. Now, they actually thought that he was going to be because they knew the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. And they thought, well, surely if he's going to heal the sick and he can raise the dead, can he take the throne of his father David? Surely this is him. Even the disciples, they ask him after he raises from the dead, Lord, will you now restore the kingdom of Israel he said it's not for you to know the time or the season now they actually think after the resurrection that is going to take place Israel is going to be restored they totally miss of course what God was doing but he never actually sat upon a throne in the span of his humanity We never find him actually ever being a magistrate of a city. We never see him ever usurping any authority in the government at all when he was here upon the earth. As a matter of fact, he seemed to succumb to the Roman government. He seemed in one way you can imagine for zealots like Barabbas and others, if they would have been standing near whenever the Roman centurion come up and said, Sir, Master, I, I've got a servant and he's so sick. Would you, would you have mercy on me? He said, you want me to come to your house? He said, I'm not even worthy. Can you imagine being there and you're hearing Jesus and all these Jews around there said, did he say what I thought he said? Did he say he would go to that dog's house? And the centurion said, sir, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. I am also a man under authority. If I say to this man, I, I do what I'm told, but I also am in a position, a centurion, I have a hundred men under me, and if I say to this man, go, he goes. And if I say to this man, come, and he comes, and he said, all you've got to do is speak the word. And Jesus turned around and looked at the Jews and said, I want to tell y'all something right now. I ain't found much faith like this in Happy Valley. I mean, I mean. (laughs) Now can you imagine he not only speaks to this dog, but he says this dog has more faith than Abraham's seed. So he said, go. Your servant is healed. And when he went down the way a little bit, some of his other servants come running to him and said, your servant is well. Your servant. You imagine him turning around, looking at Jesus, smiling. <laughs> Glory. Glory. It happened. It happened. Him looking back at him, smiling. It happened like you said, you are a man. And there they were standing in their self-righteous. Oh, my thing. How in the world could he do such a thing? But yet, what did he do? He reached beyond the very box of Judaism, as we would say, and reached to those who was able to believe him. 
So it would seem that he even succumbed to Rome. He allowed Rome to be able to be partaker in giving his life. So he never assumed a position of kingship. Can I say it so you'll understand it? Jesus to this very day is not king. In the way he will be. Now he's the king of our hearts. But can anybody show me his throne on the earth? Can anybody show me his throne on the earth? Can anybody show me that all the earth at this day bows under the dominion of our Lord? But they will. So Matthew's king is yet to be crowned. Now, in in order to come to the throne, he comes through the cross. Notice again in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, our Messiah, Yahshua, who being in the immorphe of God, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now notice what comes first is the form of God. But made himself of no reputation. Look at this word, kino. Now this is the word that Brother Ram uses in the unveiling of God, mighty God available for us, and a couple of other places in the message. And it is also the word that he identified and used as kinosis. Kino. It means make void. Too empty, to make empty, deprive of force, cause a thing to be seen to be empty. Now he made himself of no reputation, but he actually chose to empty himself and make himself appear void. Now, you want to get big, do you? Kenos yourself. So he emptied himself and made himself look as if though he was powerless. Look at the meaning of this word, Dartian. To cause a thing to be seen to be empty or hollow. As if though there was no driving force there to make you great. Now think who we are talking about. We are talking about the very Logos of God that stepped out of the theophany of God into this human tent called Jesus. But yet he appears as if though he is a bond slave. He created the world's And yet when he come to the earth, he divested himself of that original glory with the Father and said, really, I can't do anything if the Father don't show me. Notice Paul goes on to say, made himself of no reputation and took upon him. Now it was the him which was preexistent in the eternal essence of God's glory, but not him, the man him the attribute took upon him the form of a servant what was the body then or the humanity of the Lord Jesus 
It was the servant. Amen. Took upon him the form, or again morphe, of a servant. Look at the meaning of this word servant, doulos. A bondman, a slave. Metaphorically, one who gives himself up to another's will. Devoted to another, to the disregard of one's own interest. How many of you claim to be servants of God? What's the matter? You're scared to raise your hands? How many of you claim to be servants of God? Are you devoid of your own interest? You knew there's a trick to this question, didn't you? You see, he emptied himself of the divine form and glory which he shared with the eternal. And he took upon them, here he was in the divine form, the attribute in the divine form, then the attribute steps out of the divine form and steps into another change of clothes, and that change of clothes is the form of a servant that actually would say, Father, what else do you want me to do? I really don't know what's on the agenda today. <laughs> you see why this needs to be preached? To get rid of your brakes. Y'all might as well come on. Your pads are going to be smoking time the end of the service is over. I don't care how much you break. The word is more powerful than your brakes. that expresses his greatness that shows us how great he become that he made himself devoid he divested himself of all knowing he emptied himself of the divine form and glory and takes upon himself the image of a servant and the image of the human race which was made to serve God. So if he's going to be a human, he cannot be a superman. He can't be a Batman. He can't leap store great tall buildings in a single bound. And he can't be a 007 agent. That's all nonsense of Hollywood. And I'm afraid that's why a lot of us have made Jesus a caricature of Hollywood. Let's go back to the Bible and find out who he is. So the divine glory was exchanged for human lowliness. And I hope you can go with me this far. Human darkness. Not darkness of sin now. But just the darkness of trying to comprehend the fullness of God's will about your life. Notice in St. John 5, 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I 
say unto you? And he believes it. The son can do whatever he wants to, anytime he wants to, whenever he wants to. The son can do. He chose this. He chose this to divest himself of this possession and succumb to this. Now for us, this is glorification. For us to say, well, I didn't know what to do, but the Lord gave me the words to say, and we're saying, wow, wow. That man come in and preached my heart last night. Wow. I just, we just talked about that before church, and we say, oh, my. But for him to come from the all-knowing to be embodied in a tabernacle, just like me and you that sometimes just kind of looking around thinking, wow, wonder what today holds. I don't know about you, I wake up in a new world every morning. Now, some of all of you, all omnipotent, all-knowing and everything, first of all, you're a bag of wind and you're a big liar. You don't know a bit more than all the rest of us except you're a know-it-all attitude. That's the only difference. Come on, face the facts. You're a dumb dirt bag like all the rest of us. You're just struggling along in life trying to do the very best you can serving the Almighty God. That's one thing for us to be that way, but for Him to divest Himself and say, Papa, what was, what was it you want me to do today? I really don't know what to do. Can you imagine Almighty God being on the earth in the form of His Word and He appears two times in Scripture for 30 years? It would look like a waste of 29 years of existence. It don't make me feel so bad. I look at my life and think, my goodness, I, I've been a pretty much just a total waste all my life. Here I am, 63, I think, now. <laughs> you know, what in the world have I done for the kingdom of God? What in the world have I accomplished? What have I done? You think, Lord, what, what, what really is the purpose of life? And what is the purpose of you being here? Can you imagine being him? And you appear at your birth, and you appear at 12, and then you appear again 30 years later and say, where have you been? Uh, I made a few doors and uh, I said, I think I made some uh, boxes for a church and uh, uh, let's see, I think I made, uh, did I make you a cabinet? And I made you a plow, right? I made you a plow and you are Jesus, the Savior of the world and you've been in a carpenter shop. They said, we're ready. There wasn't nothing I could do till I got the Holy Ghost. (laughs) 
the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do for what things soever he doeth. These also do the Son likewise. Don't you see? We have just read God's perfect servant. Brother Donnie, if you're so gifted, why don't you go up to the Johnson City Medical Center and just empty it out at that hospital? Servants of God don't operate in such a way. Don't you think I walk by people and I see them, my goodness, in all kinds of states, and I look at them and I think, Lord, I wish there's something I could do for them. Me and Carol was in Walmart the other day, and a woman there had an affliction in her body. I felt such compassion for her, I wanted to lay hands on her right there at Walmart. But I didn't want to be thrown in jail because I had to preach that night. But as a human, you look at him. Can you imagine this servant? That he walked up that day and by vision and meandered through all the sick and all the afflicted. And he goes up to a man who had a prostate trouble. Maybe he walked by blind babies, crippled babies. He walked by all kinds of people in their situation, but he couldn't stop because the father showed him a man with a prostate trouble. Notice in verse 20, he said, For the Father loveth his humanity, the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these. He allowed himself to be humbled to such a place. It's as if though his spiritual walk was growing. Thank you for doing that, Lord. And he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. The scripture we looked at last night, Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Made under the law. And this is why. To redeem them that were under the law. That we might receive the adoption of sons. Well, let's go ahead and read the next of it because John, or Paul rather, really believed a strange thing. He believed one of the strangest doctrines of the New Testament, which I confess I believe likewise, and I think most of you believed. That he believed you were sons before he ever got the Holy Ghost. And because ye are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That's the reason you got the Holy Ghost was because you was a son and daughter of God. That's your Bible. Luke chapter 2, verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Can you imagine? The Logos himself 
living in a house. And his mother telling him, don't go here, don't do this. Don't eat them cookies. You'll ruin your appetite for supper. Yes, ma'am. Jesus, did you make your bed? Jesus, have you cleaned up your room? He was subject. Lord, children. He divested himself to come and live in an ordinary home. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. This is after they heard him confounding the doctors and lawyers. And she said, son, don't you know your father and I was so worried about you? He said, don't call him my daddy. Don't you know I must be about my father's business? Is it a marvel to you you'd find me in my daddy's house? Listen at verse 52. Me and my former Jesus only days. This is one scripture that you read so fast. Or maybe you don't read it. And Jesus increased in wisdom. God can't. The Logos can't. A theophany can't. But Jesus can. Because Jesus had a day started and a day died. Now can you imagine choosing to go from the all-knowing to knowing nothing? So when you go to getting consciousness, when you go to realizing however old that was, six months, nine months, a year, or whatever it was as a child, that you go to acknowledging this is your mother and this man is is the man in your life. And then other children that Joseph had that was around him. He didn't know how to feed himself. If they wore diapers or napkins, whatever it was as they called them in that day, he couldn't change himself. If he was thirsty, glory to God. He who made the aquifers of the earth had to cry for a drink of water. Why? He divested himself. So he divested himself of all knowing and he learned. You imagine Joseph there in the carpenter's shop. He said, Jesus, you want to help me? He said, sure. Come on, I'm going to make a door today. So he gets the hand tools that they had. and So he gets a hand planer, maybe a saw, and whatever form of splitter, you know, that they would have had in that day. And, and Jesus said, no, 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 don't do it that way. Now, you're, you've got to handle the wood gently. You can't do that. Yes, sir, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I, In his former life, he made the wood. And he's not actually standing there knowing all things. 
he divested himself of all of that and standing there as any other child. He honestly didn't know. Did you see how opposite that is for us as human beings? We read a little bit and we think we know everything. You give people a computer in this way and they consult in this day we're living in and they consult Dr. Google, they'll go in and sit down their talk, they'll tell their doctor how you ought to doctor them. Now doctor, I'll tell you one thing, I've been reading this and I've been reading that and I think you ought to give me this so-and-so and do so-and-so. Oh my goodness, and you think because you Googled it, it gives you all this wisdom. Maybe Jesus... Joseph said, now, this is a tabletop. Now, they want to cut a 45. No, don't, don't, let's change that. Let's do, let's do a 35. A 35 degree cut on the top. They said, 35. And I said, well, what you have to do? You have to take that plane and you have to hold it. Certain. No, now, Jesus, you're doing it wrong. You're cutting it there at 39. That won't work. The man wanted, I'm sorry. Let me take your hand. And let me show you how to do it. I pray to God that we never get to a spot that somebody can take our hand and show us. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Of course, God can't increase in anything. His low state as a carpenter and a carpenter's reputed son. Isn't it amazing that he was not raised like Moses was in the house of a princess? Why didn't God let Herod's daughter find him down by the river somewhere and bring him up to the great palace? Instead, a little girl, 18 years old or so, thought to be pregnant by a soldier, raised under that reproach, and all the rest of them Jewish kids, don't you get out there and play in the yard with him. He's illegitimate. He's a curse in the eyes of God. You ain't been back at yonder playing with that Jesus boy, have you? Mama, he's likable. I told you, smack him in the mouth. I told you to stay away from him. It'll be 14 generations before anybody can speak to his descendants. His bride still bears that reproach. Don't you? Notice in Matthew 13, 55, after he'd done some of his great works and said the great words that he did, they said, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren. Now these are Joseph's sons from a former marriage. Is not his brethren James and Josie and Simon and Judas? This man, oh, 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 I can't believe her. So what do they do? They immediately tack on his humility and his embarrassment. Ain't this a carpenter's boy? Now, for some of us today, to be a carpenter, say, wow, you're a builder. Not so in this day. Amen. Notice Mark 6, 2, and when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. 
And many hearing him were astonished. Saying from whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter? Yeah, you could say that. He made the universe, the stars, the horizontal rainbow. You could call him that. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Josie and Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Would it look out to me if God was going to make anybody like that? He would have made me that way. I've got a royal lineage. My family is this and that and the other. And here's a carpenter's boy that's got a bad name. That offends me. His betrayal was the price of a bondservant. Judas was paid 30 pieces of silver. Exodus 21, 32. If the ox shall push a manservant or a maidservant, he shall give unto their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. He had to die a slave-like death in order to redeem us from slavery. Can I go on a bit? His servant-like dependence as a man upon his indwelling father projected the servitude of Mark's gospel. His dependence, so he wasn't out just raising the dead and healing the sick. What are you going to do today? I don't know, I ain't made up my mind. I think I'll go over there and I'll cast out all the devils over in Gadara. Then I'm going to go over here and I'm going to do that. That's a Hollywood televangelist. You imagine getting up and eating the breakfast on that morning. The boys came around to him and said, Master, where are we going today? He said, I- I've actually got that same question. I really don't know. So what should we do? He said, well, I think we should probably eat. Eat. And you had the greatest mission that's ever been given. Look, boys, the son can do nothing. Of himself. My life is not my own. My reputation is not my own. You see, all the marks of a servant was so impressed upon his life. Look at this word. I said it to you a week or so ago, and it just it just keeps going over in my heart, you know, about the word divest. It means to deprive or dispossess, especially of property, authority, or title. Divested of his rights to strip, especially of clothing, ornament, or equipment. Now this was not taking, taken rather, 
by an almighty God away from his poor little defenseless boy. But he chose as the king and the story to take his garments off himself. Can we look for just a couple of three points here and compare the rights of a slave? No slave could have any right as a citizen. No rights whatsoever. Which makes it really tough for us living in Laodicea. Since this is the age of people's rights. The sad truth about it is the evil and the wicked have got more rights than the righteous. As our Savior, He was subjected to more evil and wrongdoing than any other mortal could ever be. Mm -hmm. So He had no rights as a citizen and yet made the universe. The slave actually could own no property. As a matter of fact, most slaves had no shoes. It was a sign you were a slave. Can you imagine the owner of the universe? So some disciples come to him one day and said, Master, where do you live? I said, we'd like to go home with you. He said, boy, you're going to have a problem there. I don't even have a place to live. You mean you don't have your own house? Where do you live? Well, sometimes I stay at Mary and Martha's house. I've been down at Peter's house sometimes in Capernaum. And uh, I've stayed over, occasionally I go back and visit uh, Mary's house. But I, I'm sorry, I, I don't have a place. The clothes he had was made by others and given to him. And yet can you imagine there in eternity as the eternal sitting on the throne and his robes and his crowns and diadems, myriads of angels worshiping him. And he comes to the earth and he winds up with one change of clothes. The servant of servants didn't have a bed. He didn't have his own favorite pillow. When it come time for his taxes to be paid, he didn't even have no money to do that. So he sent Peter down on a fishing trip. And Jesus didn't counterfeit that money. Apparently a rich man got in a boat there and got, you know, kind of bent it over backwards or whatever more and dropped some of that money out in there. He told that fish to go over and swallow that money. Keep it for me for a few days. You believe your God is mindful of you? I've told you before the story in Africa of the sister there whose husband beat her, whose husband was so mean to her. And told her she's going to have to quit serving God and quit going to a message church. She said, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to live for God. So the husband goes out and grabs the keys to the car, the vehicle, or whatever more, and throws them in the lake. Said, if you've got a mighty God, let him lead you to where they are. 
couple of days she goes to the market to buy a fish. She's strangely led. Now, if you've ever been in Africa, there's all kinds of folks are selling fish. But she's strangely led to this particular man who's selling fish. And she goes there to buy this fish. Hallelujah. And she opens the mouth of that fish. And there's her car keys. Hallelujah. She takes the fish and the car keys back to her house. And leads her husband to Jesus Christ. understand no doubt he had that woman in his mind a slave in the eye of the law was a piece of property he could be beaten or she, sold, treated lower than an animal. They would treat their slaves lower than their donkeys. They would treat their slaves lower than their cows. And this is the position he assumed. His slavery was twofold. Let me close. The fold of deity and the fold of humanity. He must be God's bondservant in service of death. And he must become your Boaz to redeem you. By day, he worked for the creation, the creature. Saving those that the Father would lead him to save, healing the sick. By night, he spent in rejuvenation and communion with the Father. It aged him so much that at the age of 31 or 2, they looked at him and thought he was 50. He went day and night. Never went by taxi. Never flew. Took a few boat rides. But never traveled, can you imagine, the eternal one? Never traveled over a hundred miles from where he was born his entire life. Praise God. So I ask you, are we servants of this capacity? Is your time yours or is it God's? Is your money yours? Or God's. Your personality. Your reputation. Or are we just servants at our leisure and our discretion? Now think of it. In a day of plenty, God wants servants. Now God gives us gifts. And then God wants to see what we will do with those gifts. Look at the Lord Jesus last night there in the wilderness. My, with all the fullness of the power of God. It was not only a temptation. 
You know, and the things that was around. Can you imagine having all of that in you and withstanding the temptation to use what you know is yours? As God, you've got these qualities in you. As the prophet said, he could have spoke to Satan and spoke him out of existence. And he was tempted to do it. But the father said, no. Donnie can't fight that way. Fight the way Donnie needs you to fight. Without anointing, without feeling, without emotion. Use my word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you appreciate him today, saints? Let's bow our heads if you would. Lord Jesus, I thank you for helping us, Lord, to be able to see just a little bit of what you did. You were not made to do this. No one made you give your life. No one made you in the act of kenosis. You chose to. As our Adam, you must choose. And because you chose, you must suffer the penalty of your choice. Praise God. So you choose from there. It's more than our minds can comprehend. You are there in the circle of eternity and you choose to leave that glory and that splendor, that majesty, that position of all-knowing, omnipotent, omnipresent, omnipresent, you choose to leave that to be confined into the body of a baby and then the body of a man you choose to go to a cross have your clothes removed from you and your body beaten and whipped you choose to go to a grave a tomb and lay there lifeless thank you Lord Thank you, Lord Jesus. You did that for me, Father. You did that for these people. We want you to know we are so grateful. Thank you, Lord. May it never become commonplace to us. May we see today the greatness of this expression. Lord, in our age... We can pretty much, if we're willing to pay people enough, we could pay people to just about take care of any responsibility assigned to them in a job. If it would be sweeping a floor, if it would be being up 18 hours a day, if we assign enough money to it, people will almost do anything for money. So we, in essence, can buy responsibility to a degree, out of people. 
what really is when we are proved is not just responsibility alone, but it's privilege. It's when we are given privilege and we are entrusted with privilege and then see what we do with privilege. It wasn't that you looked at responsibility. Well, I really don't want to do it. I hate to. I hate I have to do this. But I reckon I will. It was not that you had to be bought with responsibility. It was what you did with privilege. Praise God. Help me, Lord. Help every one of us here today to realize we have such an awesome thing before us. Not just responsibility, but privilege. It's easy to see what many preachers do with privilege. It's easy to see what many people do with privilege. They take advantage. They lose respect. They lose trust. They lose honor. And many times it's privilege that takes it away from them. So Father, help us not only to serve you under the obligation of responsibility, but with the blessing of privilege. What will we do with privilege? For many, they become frivolous. They become lazy. They take advantage because of privilege. But Lord, may we be the type of people that you don't have to scare to death and hang us over hell to get us to meet the obligation of our responsibility. But may we be the type of people that can, you can give privilege to. I know this is at the very end of the sermon, but quicken it to their hearts, Father. Joseph was that type of a man. Joseph didn't serve Pontifar just because of responsibility. But Joseph was a man of great privilege. Joseph could have taken advantage, but he didn't. It was his integrity that he could be entrusted with privilege. Father, we've been given the privilege of great illumination. We've been given the privilege of light and life, honor, favor. Help us, Lord God. Oh, Jesus, may we as your people have that servant attitude. Not in the respect, Lord, that we live under that constant fear that we're scared to death. I know it's difficult for us to balance it all. In position, we are bride, but in attitude, we must still be Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Help us to always stay balanced in between the two, Lord. Granted, Father, in the name of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How many wants to be a true servant, a bond slave to Jesus? Yet, at the same time, his bride, his predestinated, the love of his life. Praise God. Sing something for us here. Let's just worship a little bit before we go, can we? Oh, thank God. Look, friend, what he was given. 
privilege. Privilege. And what did he do with privilege? Kenosis himself. What will you and I do with privilege? It's easy to see what many have done. They take advantage. You give some people authority. You give some people favor. You help some people. You help them today. You carry them tomorrow. Because the more you help them, the more they expect. That's our mentality. You help people today, they expect more tomorrow and more the next day and more the next day and more the next day. So you're taking advantage of your privilege. Instead of realizing maybe God has given you that privilege to see what you will do with it. Will you use it reservedly? Will you use it respectfully with circumspect? Will you be able to look at that and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is God trying me? Is God challenging me to see what I will do with this? You see, it's a satanic nature that he wants to take advantage. Satan was the greatest archangel in heaven. He was the greatest one that stopped the approach. Any other angels that come before the throne of God had to come through Lucifer. Thou art the anointed cherub, and I have set thee so. The anointed cherub, the one who stopped the approach. So any other angels that came up before the throne of God had to come through Lucifer. He understands divine protocol of approach to deity. So what did he do? He took advantage of that opportunity. Oh, may God help us that we'll never do that. Many of our failures will not be just so much. Well, I didn't do this, and I didn't do that, and I didn't do that. A lot of times we're looking so much at what we didn't do. Instead of looking to see that we took advantage of what God actually gave us. That's what led us to the greater error of failing our responsibility. Oh my goodness. Sing, Harry, sing. Make them happy. I've made them so sad and their faces are so long. <laughs> Praise God. Oh yes, Lord. Let's just sing it a little before we go. Give myself Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Oh, but Brother Donnie, I've done that. You don't ever do it just once. We continue to do it over and over again. Take my Yes, Lord. Lord, my life is in your hands. If 
myself away I give myself away so it a prayer as we sing it if you would in your capacity of what God's called you to be what God has entrusted in your hands your time your life your family your personality your reputation your position everything you are hallelujah oh I give myself give myself away so you can use me I give myself away yes Lord I give myself away so you can use me oh my life is not my own to you I give myself, I give myself to you. My life is not my own. To you I belong. I give myself, I give myself to you. I give myself pray again before we do with a few requests I'd like to just remind you of today we want to continue to remember brother Ron Spencer gallagher be with our brother went to a specialist had a PET scan and went to a specialist and some of the tests are still inconclusive as far as what they've come up with thus far going to do a biopsy probably sometime this week on the nodules that they found so we want to remember him and his family and church family in prayer also brother Homer Longoria was put in the hospital late yesterday afternoon doing some better today, able to breathe a little better, but still coughing really, really bad. Um, Brother Jimmy and Sister Laura Burchard, probably Brother Louie may have mentioned that this morning. It's the organ player down at the church in Kentucky where I used to be years ago, and really fine brother and sister. 
Brother Jimmy and his wife was in a terrible accident. Sister Laura was actually driving, and uh, somebody ran a stop sign and T-boned him and hit her side of the car, broke five ribs, cracked about four vertebrae, lacerated liver, lacerated kidney, several things. Um, actually, Brother Jimmy was on the other side of the car, but he got the worst damage of it all. They had to disconnect his intestine, remove part of it, remove his bowel, part of his bowel. Um, still unconscious, still in a very, very serious situation. Had to give him 11 units of blood, Carol, 11 or 12 units of blood. Um, so just a very, very serious situation. Um, we know our God's greater than all these situations. We have needs among us, of course, Brother Eugene Kennedy, all these different needs that we're aware of. Well, we believe our Father's mindful, don't we? Maybe God would use your faith today to be able to reach and touch Him. Some of you don't even pray whenever we pray because you think, why should I pray? Brother Donnie's praying. God might not use my faith. God might not use my prayer. It might be yours. Maybe you'll hear of something. I went to see Brother Eugene one day this week, and he said, Brother Donnie, whenever I heard you preaching about Jesus fasting, and there the brother laid, laying in the bed, and his leg hardly any bigger than my wrist. And I laid my hand over on his leg, and he said, I thought of Jesus fasting. He said, I thought he probably looked like me. And I thought, isn't it so unusual how people where they are will hear things that you never even think about. Yet who knows what the Lord lets us go through so that we would be able to reach out for others. Let's pray together, can we? Father, my heart has certainly been burdened, Lord, for Brother Ron and his situation there, Lord Jesus. Just thinking about him for several weeks, Lord. And we're just believing you, God. You're the God of miracles. Lord, I've stood right by him in prayer lines and seen tremendous things that you've done. Now it's his turn, Lord. He needs a touch. God, we pray for our brother, his family, Lord, his church family. Lord, we pray for Brother Homer this morning that you'd be mindful of him. Brother Jimmy and Sister Laura, Lord, both of them in the University of Kentucky Hospital in Lexington. I'm going to put them on the same floor next to each other in the same hospital, in the same unit together. I can't imagine how their two boys, their daughter-in-laws, their seven grandchildren are feeling today. Papa is not just in the hospital, but Papa and Mamma both. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. May the hand of God reach down in Lexington, Kentucky. Lord Jesus, may you move for Brother Jim and Sister Laura, Father. We believe our lives are brought on this earth to serve your purpose. And that devil cannot take us until that purpose is done. Lord, we pray for Brother Eugene Kennedy. You see his need in his body. Lord, 14 years he's been dealing with this thing and the doctors don't even know what it is. But Lord God, we pray for our brother today. Lord, we pray for other needs in the church and the assembly. Some physical, some spiritual. All of us have needs, Lord. One way or another. We're needy people. And I know we say it often. 
but I love to say it to remind you. I hope they can receive it when I say it this way. You become a needy human being yourself. You needed friends. You needed food. You needed water. You needed a ride into Jerusalem one day. So you sent your disciples to bar a donkey. You needed a place to be buried. So you barred a rich man's tomb. You placed yourself as a needy human being. So we unashamedly bring our needs before you today. Oh, great high priest of God, after the order of Melchizedek, we lay our needs, our requests, our desires, our petitions before our priest, which can relate to our needs. Meet them according to your gracious riches, Father. For it's in the name of the Lord Jesus we ask it. Praise be to God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. So his human body had never been to heaven. But his theophany, which got back in it at the resurrection, could take the human body, which had never been up from the time that he met Mary, and come back that night. Can you imagine the first time the body of Jesus entered into heaven? That's overwhelming, isn't it? So the body is taken up and come back. Why? The first one of the new race. <laughs> Sing something. Hey, I'm fixing to do part two. <laughs> Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Part 97 is coming on. <laughs> God bless you, saints. I love you so much. I don't know how you feel. I feel like when we get in here, we've actually broken to eternity. Amen. Forget time. Forget eating. Forget all that. Amen. Saint. God bless you. Go in the fear of God. Service Wednesday. Love you. Let's sing together. This is what he wants us to do. The more we do, the more he can use us. Give myself away so you so you can use me, Lord. Give myself away. Oh Jesus, I give myself away so you can use me. them 
myself away I give myself away so you can use me I give myself away I give myself away so is not my own to you I belong Lord I give myself I give myself to you my life is not my own to you I belong Lord I give myself I give